Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Father, we are grateful to be here tonight. Lord, we're grateful for your love, your your new mercies every day, every morning. And Lord, as we sit here uh, tonight in fellowship, it is uh, a demonstration of your grace in our lives. It's an opportunity to continue to grow in you, Lord God. And Lord, help us. We, we are so blessed with the opportunity to gather in your name again and again and again that we, we can sometimes be prone to take this for granted, Lord God. And I pray that we would not do so, Lord, that we would really cherish the times that we have together, that we would really cherish the fact that we can openly study the Word of God and talk about it and, and dive into it, that we would cherish the fact that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, Lord God. So we may, may we not take this for granted, but may we really embrace it And may you have your way in this place as we look to Genesis chapter 23 tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of tonight's message is Sarah's Launching Pad. There are ups and downs in Scripture, and this is kind of a downer. It's basically someone dies and it's a funeral service, kind of. That's basically what all this chapter really is. But there's also, like every chapter in the Bible, there's so much we can glean from this regarding spiritual truths and principles. Tonight we read of the death of an amazing woman of God. And here in chapter 23, Sarah passes away and Abraham seeks to give her a proper burial place. Uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's late wife, uh, another amazing, prominent woman. I love what she said about her grave. She refused to call it her grave. She's like, this isn't my grave. This is my launching pad. This is where I will be resurrected from the dead. And I love that perspective. And tonight we read of Abraham, how he secures a launching pad for his beloved wife, for Sarah. Because no doubt these guys knew the Lord and trusted in the promise of the resurrection. So let's just jump right in. Verse 1. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, it's been noted that this is the only woman in all the scripture that her age is actually mentioned at her death. And I like what Pastor John Corson says. He says, it's probably because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman and he doesn't like to mention a lady's age very often. Uh, Probably not, though. No doubt it's evidence, though, of Sarah's significance in the storyline of faith. Realize this, guys. If if Abraham is the father of faith, then Sarah is definitely the mother of faith. She was a significant part of this plan and a part of the plan of salvation. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, women are told to emulate Sarah. In Isaiah as well, we're told to look to the faith of Abraham and Sarah as an example. Uh, It's been brought up that of all the women in the Bible, I mean, I guess Mary would be the most revered among Christians, especially of the Catholic flavor, right? But nowhere are you told to emulate Mary. Like, you're actually told to emulate the faith of Sarah, that women would look to the example of Sarah as a wife, how she trusted in God, even above her own husband, and was led into precarious situations, and because of her amazing faith in God, the Lord was with her, the Lord was her God and protected her. And we're given that, women are given that example. Look to Sarah, this, this mother of faith. Now remember too, guys, God didn't use Sarah just because she happened to be Abraham's wife. Sarah was chosen by God just as much as Abraham was chosen by God. 
when she was put in danger, as I said, God stepped in to protect her supernaturally. This was God's girl. God loved Sarah, loves Sarah. Uh, When Hagar came into the picture, God made it clear that she had to leave, that she had to get out because Sarah would be the chosen woman, the chosen mother of the promised nation. And I think it's just a good argument for the fact that Sarah is perhaps the most significant woman in Scripture. Um, and so, so hence her age, is, her age is added here at her death. Uh, so Sarah passes away, and Abraham, it says, he's struck with grief and he weeps for his, his wife, his, his precious wife. And Abraham loved her so much, and we see that in the way he, that he grieves here. And if I, if I could just take an opportunity, I want to talk to you guys about grief a little bit, about weeping a little bit. It's important. I think a lot of people view weeping especially as something that we do if we're weak, if we're just fragile. Uh, it's something that we want to resist so we can hold it together, so we can keep it together, right? And, and not look like we're just falling apart. But I want you to understand, guys, that weeping can be a good thing. Now, it, I've met some weepy people who are just always crying. I don't know that that's a good thing, right? But there's a time to weep in life. There, there truly is times to weep in life. And it is a good thing, an outlet, an emotional response that God has created us uh, to do and to use. Um, the Bible says that there is a time to mourn. The Bible says that we should mourn with those who mourn. And we see Jesus even emulating this and showing us this example when he wept at the, at, at the grave of his friend Lazarus. Right, The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He embraced that grief and he let it out in the form of weeping. And it may sound strange to you guys, but think about it this way. Weeping is actually an honor. It's an honor to come alongside someone else as we mourn with those who mourn. It really is an honor to weep with those who are hurting so greatly. I've, I've done a lot of memorials as a pastor here at a, at a large church. Um, no doubt one of the most significant for me was one I, I had the honor of doing with my friend who... Uh, he lost his son a few years back. And it was, it was so hard. A, a really hard season. His son was 14 years old. And I, I came alongside the family after they heard the news. I uh, spent time with my friend. We helped plan the, the ceremony, uh, his memorial service. And I did music at the service. And I made it all the way till the viewing after the memorial service. We went to the funeral home uh, for, the, for the viewing. And um, I just broke. I just broke down. It was an open casket, and I was there with my friend and just seeing his son, and I just, I just wept. I mean, I was like sobbing. It hit me hard. And I can tell you guys, of all the pastoral services that I offered the family, I really felt like it was most of, the one that was most honorable to me was just to be able to weep with him, like to be able to identify with him in his grief even if it was just a taste of what he was experiencing. All the other pastoral duties, it, they seemed kind of trivial to me after I was able to weep with my friend and weep, weep for his son. Weeping can be an honorable service. you know. And Abraham weeps here for his wife. Weeping also honors the one who has passed away. We like to say at memorial services that we grieve deeply when we love deeply. Right, And the evidence of great grief is evidence of, of a great love for someone. Few things convey affection for someone as well as weeping over their loss. Truly, like when someone impacts your life, guys, their death will impact you as well. There will be this grief. It's, it's a significant thing. And, and, and so as we weep for someone, it really honors them. It shows that we really care for them. 
And in fact, in, in Jewish culture, it's a big deal. People will hire wailing and weeping people for these memorials. It happened at Lazarus' funeral as well. And unfortunately, you get a lot of ingenuine weepers as well, people who just you know, hired weepers. And the Pharisees would come and mourn because it was kind of their job to do. But to have someone who's genuinely weeping over, over your death, that's an honor to you if you're the one who's deceased. Um, and then the last thing I'll talk about with regards to weeping is that it can also be, it's like medicine, really, to the grieving. I don't know if you've grieved. Uh, seriously, if you've, if you've endured like a really hard loss in your life. But when, it, I, I've lost friends, I've lost family, I've, and like I said, I've come alongside a lot of people who've experienced tremendous loss. And when you experience that kind of loss, there's this grief in your heart. It's like an ache in your heart that you just carry with you all day. And there's something about being able to just weep that it's, it's almost like a relief for that grief, for that difficult grief. So it is a very important and healthy part of the grief process. And it's something that we should allow to happen. If you, do, if you guys find yourself in a place of loss or, or grief, get, I, I encourage you, find a place where you can provoke some weeping. If it's just by yourself, but it is something that God has created for us. It's something healthy to do as a part of the grieving process. And we see Abraham doing it here. Verse 3, it says, And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So the first thing I notice about this section is it says Abraham rose up from before his dead. Just as there's a time to mourn, guys, there's also a time to move forward and continue in God's plan for your life. That's not to say you forget your loved one or you, it's just time to move on. It's not like that. Um, your, your life, especially when you lose someone so significant in your life, life will never be the same. In fact, they say you really just, it becomes a new normal for you. You learn how to function with constant grief, with a constant void of someone you loved is no longer in your life. But nevertheless, it's important to move forward because so many people get sidetracked, get stuck in anger and depression, two of the stages of grief, because they can really grip you. You know, I've seen people get angry and become bitter, angry at God, and they get derailed in, in God's plans for their life. I've seen people be, be just sandbagged by depression and they get stuck in inactivity. They just, they're just so depressed they can't do anything. But to be able to move forward, move out of this part of grief, to, as Abraham did, he rose up before his dead to, to go on to the next step. And this is really, guys, where true faith can strengthen the believer. Oftentimes, guys, your faith, you, you haven't realized what a, a test of faith looks like until you really hit a dark spot in life, until you really experience grief. And you, you're, you're, you're left with the question, is God truly good? And, and you feel like your circumstances currently and the pain you're feeling currently is screaming at you that he's not good. But faith says and faith believes he is. And to reach that point, to choose to say, despite my circumstances, I can trust God with the death of my loved one. I can trust God with the death of this relationship or the death of this dream I had or whatever that grief may be. To reach that point where you can say, I trust you, Lord, even with this. And if it is a death, no matter how untimely or ugly or confusing, 
to know God is in control, that he was in control, he is in control, that he knows what he's doing, that we can trust God. This can bring tremendous healing when you choose to go down the, the path of faith. And I've seen amazing people of faith uh, choose this path. My, my friend that I came alongside, uh, many of you know uh, about a year ago I lost a good friend of mine. And uh, to see his family, man, such a testimony of faith. They, they grieve so deeply. They're still grieving in very real ways, but they've, they've, uh, they've moved forward with God and they're, they're using the season of grief to further the kingdom of God. And it's, so, it's a very inspiring thing. And this is what Abraham does. He rises up. So Abraham here approaches the Hittites uh, in hopes of buying a graveyard from them. Verse 5, it says, The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for me, uh, entreat for me Ephron the son of Zoar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he owns. It is at the east of, of it, I'm sorry, it is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for burying place. So Abraham, he's, he's like, hey guys, I, I need a plot of land to bury my dead and I want to pay for one. I want to buy a plot of land. And they're like, just use any of the tombs you want. Whatever tomb you want, Abraham, use it for free. We don't care. We're happy to share ours. In fact, they even say, you're a prince of God among us. Like, you're, you're, a, you're a mighty king in this region. Just, just take a tomb. Like, nobody's going to say anything. Just, just use one. We don't care. Now remember, God promised to make Abraham's name great. Just a couple of chapters ago, we saw a king come to Abraham and, and basically plea for a peace treaty. Like, look, you're, you're, a mighty, you're becoming a mighty nation. We don't want any trouble. Can we have peace? And so Abraham's name and the reputation of his giant entourage has reached the kings of the land. And they're aware. So Abraham comes and they're like, look, we don't, we don't want trouble. We don't want to mess with you. Just, just help yourself to the land. We'll share it with you. But if, if he's been able to now roam the land for 60 years, it does kind of make me ask the question, why all of a sudden does he want to buy land now? Another thing that's worth noting as well is that with this giant entourage and roaming for 60 years, there had to be other deaths in their party. And they likely just buried them along the way. So why does he now want to not only purchase land, but why does he want an official burial site? Specifically, he wants a cave to be used for a mausoleum, a place where he can bury more than just one person. Well, as you continue to read, in light of the fact that this cave becomes the family mausoleum, it's likely that this was Abraham's intention from the get-go. He wanted, he, I mean, with those who sojourned with him, they just did what they did. But now he wants an established burial place he didn't want a random place for his bride. Somewhere out in the land, he wanted an established burial place where he could come and visit and one day too be buried. A tomb that would be recognized even by the other people in the land where his family could be gathered together. And this becomes the great tomb of the patriarchs. This is actually the second uh, 
most famous and second most significant religious site to the Jews and the, and the Muslims is Abraham's burial site. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives are, are buried in this tomb to this day. And this also becomes, what Abraham does here, becomes an important custom for the Jewish people. They take, they take their burial very seriously. And one of the things that they'll do, and they did for centuries, was if you were wealthy, you had a tomb, and the body would lay in the tomb till it would decay down to just bones. And then they would take the bones, gather them, and put them in the family mausoleum. The thinking here is that at the resurrection, the family would rise together. The family would be together at the resurrection. Very, it was a very significant thing, and obviously this was a precedent set by Abraham, so it wasn't an option for him just to share someone else's, else's tomb, to just throw Sarah in with a bunch of other Hittite people. This wasn't what he desired to do. Um, and it had to be a, a burial place that the Hittites would recognize, that they would leave it alone, and they would acknowledge, this, is, this belongs to Abraham, that Hebrew. Now, it's also been suggested, some interesting insight to this is that Abraham was also wanting just to be an official landowner among them. He wanted land recognized by the Hittites, and their generosity here, oh, you can just have it. It's really just a cover-up for their resistance uh, to recognize him as a legitimate landowner. I think that's very likely. That they would rather assimilate Abraham into their culture, just use our tomb, because if it's a, if it's a borrowed tomb, he has no claim to it. They just want to assimilate Abraham into the culture so he can't take over the country. But that's not what God has planned or promised to Abraham. God has promised Abraham to give his descendants this region, this whole country, and eventually kick out the Canaanites among whom the Hittites belong. They were Canaanite people. And what God spoke to me as I'm reading this, as I'm, speed, as I'm reading these guys, like really, oh, they're just being so generous to Abraham and and. And all the while, it's actually contrary to God's will. It just spoke to me like, we have to be careful because this is how the enemy works in our lives. He'll be so generous to you. He'll butter you up. He'll open up all kinds of doors for you if you just go his way. And when you walk through these doors that just seem super easy and convenient for you, they lead you down a path that's the opposite direction of God's will for your life. That's, that's exactly how the enemy works. Man, I got this awesome job opportunity. I'm going to make bank. They, they are going to pay me under the table. Uh, just for the first year, though, I can't ask a whole lot of questions about where the money comes from. But man, the job just fell right in my lap. Watch out for that, right? Sounds a little shady, but I met this amazing guy. He's so cute, and he's got a great job, and he's so nice. I don't know if he's Christian, but, uh, but hey, I, I really feel like this was... the. This guy just came right into my life. Be careful with that. Right? Like the devil would love to see you coast right into hell. Don't assume a great job or this attractive person being interested in you or this car at such a good price, whatever it is. Don't assume that it's God's will for your life just because it came easily. Just because it was an open door. Like the devil likes to butter you up and lead you down wrong paths. There's always a catch, guys, when the devil wants to offer you a freebie. There's always a catch when the enemy's like, here you go, I'll help you along. I'll make things easy for you. Because typically what happens is, is you go and you start checking out that, that shiny, pretty lure, 
And then as soon as you sink your teeth into it, there's a giant sharp hook in it. That's how the, that's how the enemy, how he works. Up front, it's all freebies and handouts. Up front, right away, it's like instant pleasure. But he never puts the true price tag on it, does he? Everything the devil offers just says free on it. It's like, man, I can enjoy this right now. But you pay dearly for it down the road. Hi, everyone. Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to those of you who also share this content and help us get the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus out into our community. We would love to invite you out to our in-person services. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.